Good morning, good evening, good night. NBN, Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? You're trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. Uh, you could be right, but you're wrong. <laughs> good morning, good evening, good night, Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel listeners on the NBN. I'm here with my co-host and friend, Kimon Fontakidis, and... Philippe Legner, if I pronounce your name correctly, who's the founder of a company called Matagon, if I pronounce that correctly. But Philip, rather than me try to introduce you, why don't you introduce yourself in around a minute the way you would if you just bumped into someone at a business networking or even a party? Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Philip. Uh, thanks for having me on this podcast. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, a couple of years ago, I started a company called Mathigon that creates educational software for students in schools. Our goal is to try to make learning as interactive and fun and engaging for students as possible. My personal background is in mathematics. I then worked as a software engineer at Google and Bloomberg um, for a few years while I started Mathigon just as a spare time project. And it grew over time into a proper business. And we were acquired about two years ago by Amplify, which is one of the leading um, textbook and curriculum publishers in uh, in the United States. Fantastic. And so what are you doing now? Are you living on a beach, just spending an enormous fortune that poured in after the acquisition? Or, or uh, I wish. Um, no, I still work with the same team on the same projects. We are like a little studio within this larger company now but um, have very similar goals and products we still work on. There's some integration work going on with the larger business, lots of other partnerships and yeah, lots of other um, projects that we had planned before that I still want to work on. Um, yeah. I love this topic. It's really close to my heart. Um, I, uh, I, and, and I'm kind of curious. So, how would you? How is it different from? Uh, so, I, I haven't heard of it before. How, how is it different from Khan Academy? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. Khan Academy is very video based, and while it reaches many many students, it definitely had an amazing impact on humanity and and society as a whole. I feel like videos are not the best medium for learning and teaching. I feel like videos can be very passive for students. You just listen to a teacher. And the same can be said about um, about lectures and front Traditional, traditional schools. learning. Yeah, traditional exactly, learning, yeah. yeah. Um, and this is one of the things I also didn't like um, throughout my educational experiences. So what we wanted to do is make the learning experience much more interactive for students so that they can be creative, that they can explore ideas independently, that they can just make discoveries on their own rather than just be told how stuff works by a video or by a teacher or a tutor and uh, have these really um, uh, valuable learning moments when they make a discovery of how an, a mathematical concept works or, or something like that. So, yeah, we focus a lot on creativity, problem solving, storytelling. Um, okay, so can you just, just... So, sorry, have you maybe, is it, because literally you're talking to somebody who has no, like, so are we yeah. talking about gamification? Is it a, is it a game? Have you, have, is it like, is it a game? I mean, or, or what, what, how does it actually work? So there's no video, yeah. there's no lecture of somebody teaching something. So how does it actually, how are you actually teaching via creativity and problem solving? Yeah. So we have quite a few different products and mediums. 
when I started, I just experimented with lots of different things. Um, we developed a new um, course format online that um, if you know Tom Riddle's diary, you... Uh, uh, which one? Which one? Tom Riddle's diary from Harry Potter. Um, oh, yeah. No. A, yeah. Okay. Now I know. Book. Okay. Yes. 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 You write something, the book responds, and it sort of uh, writes stuff for you. And this is the experience we wanted to emulate as well with our interactive courses that... When you start, there's just one or two paragraphs of text. You can interact with things. There are lots of simulations. You can run little games, questions you have to answer, um, goals you have to achieve. Um, sometimes there are open-ended questions like build a tessellation, and we have little tiles you can use to build these tessellations online and then share your discoveries or any patterns you've noticed or stuff like that. And once you've done that, a little bit more content is revealed that depends on what you did previously. So step-by-step step, students work through these courses, um, but there are other uh, parts of the, the platform as well. So we've got an open-ended whiteboard called Polypad, which has hundreds of different types of tools and manipulatives. And this is something students can use almost as a Lego-like makerspace where you can have, you have all of these tools and you can build uh, things in mathematics, you can visualize your ideas, you can be creative. We ran an art contest a couple of years ago where students created amazing mathematical artwork using the tools we provided. Uh, we've recently added lots of music tools where even students can create music using mathematical objects. For example, different fraction bars, you can layer a quarter and a sixth fraction bar on top of each other, choose different sound effects and music and play them back and, and create uh, polyrhythms or other kinds of music that way. Wow, that's really um, cool. What, what age group are you shooting for with this stuff? Uh, we have content uh, that ranges from early primary to uh, secondary school. So uh, a very broad range of ages. Some of our content is very aligned to the standard curriculum. So we've got a course on trigonometry. We've got a course on quadratic equations, stuff like that. But then we also have courses on topics that don't really appear in the national curriculum in mathematics in most countries, but that I found incredibly fascinating learning about and that have lots of important applications in uh, in everyday life, like cryptography, for example, and learning how we can um, encode messages on the internet or during wars for, for like the Enigma, how these were solved and so on. Or courses about game theory and how that um, uh, can be used in uh, economics, but also to solve uh, games that students might play like Monopoly or chess or just tic-tac-toe, things like that. We've got a course on graph theory and how that applies to social networks, to supply chains, um, but also to coloring problems. If you've got a map, how many colors do you need to color it in? If adjacent countries are not allowed to have the same color, that's a graph theory problem. So there are these areas of mathematics that developed relatively recent, are often overlooked in national curriculums, but are incredibly fascinating, have these yes. really rich, powerful stories and lots of real-life applications behind them. So we try to integrate them as much as possible into our content as well. Okay, so we need to give the plug now. What is the website that you go to to get this stuff? We'll do it maybe multiple times, but this is... Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm asking because I want to write it down. Yeah, it's called <laughs> so uh, mathagon.org. Uh, Matagon.org. With it, that's M A T I G O N. M A, sorry, um, M A T H I G O N.org. 
All okay. of the content is completely free to use. You don't even need to create an account to access it. So this was very important for me personally as well. I believe in free and open education. All of that is free. And we can yes. talk a little bit more later maybe about the business model behind that and, and how we made that yes. work without yes, charging users for it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's all free. Go to the website, check it out. On the homepage, there's also like a two-minute trailer video that shows what some of the content looks like. Um, yeah, I, really cool. I don't have a background in graphics design, but I really love illustrating and design. So the website is very visual, uh, lots of um, color graphics, visualizations to make very abstract concepts in mathematics a little bit more concrete and, uh, and visual for students. So, uh, yeah, definitely worth taking a look rather than... No, I mean, I, I have to ask, so, I'm sorry, Richard, I, I just happen to be really interested in this and I, I know a bit about, like I follow this on uh i actually try to get my kids into it i don't know if you've heard about tinker do you know tinker for uh, i'm yeah. sure you know about tinker for for, uh, 3D for, printing. for oh uh, no it's for teaching kids uh how to code actually young age coding oh, they building okay. building blocks it's actually really cool it's still a little bit like my young my young kids like the eight-year-old is just around at that age but a little bit just in like another year she'll be like really good for that but like that's why i want to look at this but i actually strongly am interested i'm very very interested in alternative models to education because i just don't i mean like so i have young kids and i just don't believe in the in the modern school system that it's prepared to uh prepare that it's prepared to prepare kids for the future basically and and you know and the, the, the this everything is changing so fast and that's why i think approaching these things is like like alternative models to learning and teaching are so important and i, I just need to ask though like so because you're very you know you're very young did you do you have because you know there's 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 you know obviously you're you're you have a, you have a tech background I guess a mathematics background and you're interested in, in in teaching this but are there any like learning model like did you did you learn about learning did you learn about teaching like because it's like because isn't that a whole big yeah. space just by itself to like and then to implement some of those um you know theories yeah. into your so my experience started uh, with education started in uh, at university. We had an outreach project where university students went into local primary and secondary schools one morning every week and run workshops or lectures for students. And we didn't have any curriculum. I could talk about literally whatever I wanted. Um, I often taught about things that to sometimes primary school kids about topics that I was also learning in an undergraduate degree. Um, in mathematics. So uh, what is infinity and how how can we do <laughs> mathematics with infinity? Uh, what is non-Euclidean geometry? How is that different from flat planar geometry you learn about in school, like on a surface of a sphere or hyperbolic geometry, uh, stuff like that? We did a treasure hunt around school and things like that. So this is where my uh, teaching experience really started. And this is mm -hmm. also where Mathagon started. So when I left university, I had all of these PowerPoints and uh, lesson ideas and activities, and initially just created a personal website, almost like a blog, where I uploaded all of those resources. And then over several years, this developed into Mathigon and, and the company that I now run. Um, but I then also did a master's degree in maths education, which was a lot more um, about kind of the pedagogy, curriculum design, uh, history of education, um, research that's been done um, into uh, how best to teach. Um, and I work with a great team of uh, other teachers who have a lot more classroom experience than me um, and designers who, uh, yeah, contribute to that as well, of course. Cool. Now, have you have you heard of Anna Lorena Fabrega? 
by any chance? Uh, I have not. No. She's, yeah, she's wrote a book called The Learning Game. Um, and she's also into, and I think she worked. I don't know if you, have you heard of the Synthesis School. Uh, yes. That was an Elon. I think Elon Musk had something to do with it at the beginning. I'm not sure. Who, I, I it was just. Yeah. I think it was a project with for SpaceX employees, kids, or something like that. I'm not can't remember exactly. But anyway, this is like all these people are around this air area of. So yeah, and that's why I'm just kind of curious if if how do you see where are we going with it? Like what's going to happen with, I, I know this is a big question, but what's going to happen, like, at least from your perspective, what's going to happen with education? Yeah. Uh, like, and is it going to, because I think that there's an idealistic side of it is like, we, we should make it available. Cause I actually totally agree with you. Like with the technology we have now, we should be making it, we should be able to even the playing field. Like, cause everybody talks about equality and, you know, socioeconomic things. I mean, the, num the number one thing you can do is give people opportunity to get better and to learn and to, 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 to better themselves. And I think that we have the tech now that we should be able to do that. The problem is like, so, you know, I've always thought that like, why can't everybody go to Harvard? Like let people pay premium for Harvard, but why don't they just do lecture if, you know, but there's so many th ways we can, I'm just wondering, how do you see this whole thing going? Because I, I actually do really think this is a very interesting subject. Well, I think there are two questions. One is how I would want education to change <laughs> and how I think it will actually change. Okay, answer in, both in though. It would be good to understand both. Yeah. <laughs> in my experience, education is a very slow changing industry, very resistant to change. I think um, a huge issue right now is that a large part of our curriculum is based around memorizing information, algorithms, procedures, and yeah, very procedural learning. Most math exams you can revise for just by memorizing certain algorithms, um, how to solve quadratic equations or trigonometric identities or long division or things like that. And I'm not saying that this is easy. Some of these algorithms are very complicated and, and difficult for students. The problem is that these are things that AI is incredibly good at. If there's an algorithm or procedure that you just have sure. to repeat um, over and over again, AI can do that. And we've seen that ChatGPT can solve uh, um, SAT questions or math exams. Uh, with very, very high success rates. So what I think we need to do is shift our entire educational model from learning knowledge to learning problem solving and learning um, much more abstract skills like that. Um, how do I model real life situations using code or mathematical equations? And how do I interpret the results that I might get? How do I generalize um, results I, uh, I, I've derived myself or that I see from a computer? How do I do research? How do I verify information? How do I detect fake news or incredible? Yeah, how do I use the technology that's available to me to search and to find and to identify? That itself yeah. is exactly. <clears throat> the, the big problem is that these skills are much harder to assess in standardized exams. And of course. This, I think the big issue why they haven't taken off yet. But I think that uh, artificial intelligence can also help with that side and can help um, assess very uh, um, individual questions that are not just a multiple choice answer that can be uh, detected by huge machines that where you just feed in answer sheets with uh, circled uh, letters. So you said, you said uh, that what you would like to happen 
what do you think will happen? What, what, what's your forecast? Well, we'll say, let's say five, 10, 15, 20 years out, not, not the distant future, because that's very hard to forecast. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I can make any reasonable predictions more than five years <laughs> in the future. <laughs> I think that artificial intelligence will make a huge difference, not because tech companies or um, school administrators uh, decide to use those in products, but because individual students and teachers will have access and already have access to those and just will use them in their everyday teaching. Maybe teachers will try to use AI to mark uh, essays and exam questions uh, or to come up with new questions. Maybe they can use uh, ChatGPT to come up with questions, like with 30 different questions for every student in their class rather than a single question. And each of those individual questions are themed around interests and topics that students are excited about. So you can cover the same statistics by talking about uh, sports and analyzing sports results or about space flight or about animals or about many other topics that students might yeah. be interested in and um, and theming uh, mathematics and lots of other subjects around topics that students are excited about can make a huge difference. I think so. And that's a, really, a great idea I've heard for the first time. So, for example, you could say, you know, if a lion's got a 30% chance of catching a zebra, then how many lions do you need to catch whatever, uh, 20 zebras, or you could say if your favourite soccer team's got a one in five chance of winning a match, you could just like ask chat GP to generate robust questions around things. That, is that what you're saying, basically? Exactly. So that's one possibility. And that's something that chat GPT is very good at and, and uh, very reliable. I think maybe a bit longer term, those questions that you mentioned feel very contrived. Why would I want to know, like, the chance of a lion catching a zebra or something. Um, what I would then want to have next is that the questions we ask are much more real life related. Like, uh, this is uh, how many zebras there are in Serengeti right now. This is the historic data. Will zebras go extinct or not? How long will it take? What do we need to do to stop that? And have students, even if we simplify the real world a little bit, solve very tangible uh, real life problems that we have to uh, that we experience rather than made up word problems that just wrap a little bit of arbitrary context around a percentage question. Yeah. I, I think you're just more, more, more realistic. I was thinking you could be whether the shop sells out of the vodka you want to buy or the rock yeah. that you want to go to or whatever it is. But, yeah. Um, There's like so much interesting mathematics. I, read about the recent Ticketmaster controversies and uh, what percentage cut they take, how how these businesses work. So uh, I feel like in every industry, in every topic and, uh, um, and area that students are interested in, there's so much really rich mathematics uh, to explore yeah. that we yeah. don't really cover in schools. Yeah. I mean, I'm just more concerned with, sorry. I was, I was, I was, I was going to say, see, seeing your... Um both body language or for those watching on video and tone of voice, I can see you're really into this. It sounds like the drivers, you mentioned that your products for free forever and you started volunteering to do extra teaching when you were a student. And I have the strong impression that you're, you're really enjoying doing this even, even now. So 
Can you, I, and Kim and me, we can circle back to your question because this is a bit of a change of direction. But I'm, I'm really curious about your motivation. Why it doesn't sound, although you obviously have done quite well financially, it doesn't sound like that was the main thing you wanted. So what, what did motivate you to go on this journey? Can you remember how you got started, why you cared so much? Uh, yeah, well, I, I started going to these uh, outreach projects at university. In fact, there was an, a situation before that even. In my last year of high school, I had finished all of my exams, but we still had two or three weeks of term time left in school. And I asked my, I guess, former math teacher whether I could just run some classes for younger kids in the school. And that was my first time teaching, really, um, to, like, the last three or four lessons um, of, uh, of the term, I came up with interesting uh, examples and lessons and questions for younger kids in my school. And then we had this outreach project in Cambridge. Um, I really love teaching people. I love uh, if I have an, a very complicated uh, um, idea or concept, coming up with interesting ways to make that simpler, with uh, visual ways to represent what's going on. Um, with interesting stories to explain why what you're learning is uh, worthwhile studying and uh, and important in everyday life. And then seeing how students engage with that and uh, understand new topics that they didn't before and having an impact on, uh, on um, their experience in schools. And was that like a revelation for you, this this initiative? By the way, it's just struck me, there's a really interesting opportunity for everyone, everywhere involved in schooling, that what happens after the last exam of the school year? I remember sometimes in my high schools, they did quite interesting things. I can't even remember exactly what, but you have some kind of spare capacity to do something. Was it just a random idea that came to you or did you have any earlier sort of social mission or purpose or something when you're a teenager or even younger? Well, I don't think I had a social mission when I was a teenager. I thought it was fun. I uh, had studied a lot of kind of recreational mathematics like combinatorics or Pascal's triangle or interesting number sequences that we didn't learn about in school, but I found them super interesting. So those were what my my first couple of lessons were about. Um, I really love mathematics and lots of other subjects as well, but maths is sort of the the standout for me. And lots of other people don't. And uh, I uh, just really enjoyed getting others excited about uh, a, a subject that was that I was so passionate about. So someone said, "Maths is the religion, and you're the evangelist for it." I wouldn't go that far, maybe, but uh, to a small extent, yes. Yeah. Good. Um, Kimon, I, I feel I took you, you may have wanted to share something more. No, no, no. I, 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 what I think is interesting um, is that Philip's on one side. I feel like I'm on the other side. I'm, I think I'm the consumer of the education product uh, running companies. Uh, I'm getting people after the education product has been <laughs> whatever completed. And I think the results are quite poor. I I, 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 I don't think it's very useful what we're, we're getting from the product and what you're talking about. For me, I've always felt like, and this is going to sound so stupid and so basic, but it's like, how do you, like, how do you teach people how to think? Because actually 
they come out of school and they don't know how to think. They want to be told what to do and follow, as you said, this procedure or that procedure. And that's really not useful. And it becomes much less useful, as you said, when we have AI. And now we can do the rote stuff, the procedural stuff we can do with the computer. So we actually are only left with jobs where people can think. And so, like, I think this is of critical importance. And I'm just fa- like, well, anyway, I just. I'm that it's more just an observation. I, 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 and you know, I'm just, I think that it's something that as a society, and then there's also the socioeconomic thing that, you know, I'm at a stage in my life and my career where I would like to help people. And it's, it's not so much about setting up businesses and making money. And I just, I, I, anyway, I feel, I actually did that like probably my number one charity cause is Khan Academy, believe it or not. Cause I don't actually have anything else that I know yeah. of that's as good as that for like getting reach and stuff like that. So I, I, I'm just very, I'm just, I'm a strong believer it, that this is something that's broken actually. And as I said, I'm just coming from a different perspective than you. You're like, um, you actually see it from, you're like in it and like you're creating it and you're trying to help. And I'm actually the, I, I'm not currently like the actual consumer, but I have been a consumer of the product and it, the product. Yeah, I, is, I just wanted good. to uh, look up a quote from Einstein that I find uh really valuable, which is that it is a miracle that curiosity survives formal education. (laughs) And when young kids arrive in school for the first time, they are so curious. They have so many questions about how everything in the world works. Uh, And we do a very good job of suppressing that curiosity and replacing it with standardized exams for the curriculum, like lessons where you just have to memorize something that a teacher tells you Mm. to answer, um, answer simple and related questions. It's, 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 it's sorry, Richard, but as a parent, it's sad. It's literally sad. I like see my, I see my kids now. I see them. I look at things differently. Also because of whatever my life experience. So I'm an older father now, but I see these kids now. These young kids going to school, and it's literally. I, and we live in Poland. It's actually considered to be a very good education, but it's the classic rote learning, memorize all this stuff. And I can just see they're going to just beat it out of them. And it's really, it upsets me. Like, really, it just, I wish there was, you know, of course, there's a whole, this is a really deep conversation because it's a whole, like, cultural thing that you have to fight as well. Because, like, for example, my wife strongly believes in the system. Like, I mean, she she could understand my arguments, but she she will she agree for me to send them to some avant-garde new idea of a school that I don't you know I, I would have an issue there because even though I would be ready to do that so it, it, it is I, I would say that this maybe is the experience for many students and parents I've worked also yeah. with some incredible really amazing teachers who can inspire curiosity yes, and sure. exploration um, I think this is despite the system they have to work in rather than because of it Exactly. There are so many really incredible teachers and empowering those teachers and giving them the tools they need uh, to do what they uh, want to uh, is. Yeah, uh, but you're back to you're back to why don't we pay the teachers like the doctors? You know, I mean, that comes back to that problem. It's also I'm sorry, but then the quality of what you're getting, you know, I I don't maybe have the most recent data. I think this research is a bit old and I'm not sure how accurate you can predict it what what i've read is that a single amazing teacher can create a million dollars of economic value in a single year by inspiring and empowering their students and sort of 
causing them to have higher salaries in the future. So a million dollars of economic value yes, they create yes, per year yes. does really not line up uh, with their salaries. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And this is where it all starts. I mean, because like that's where it all starts. Sorry, Richard. I was just going to say, my, my, my father, who died a few years ago, who taught at both Cambridge and Oxford and Princeton, dedicated one of his books to all his teachers. He remembered and listed them all at the front. And I think the role of the inspiring teacher, certainly in many people's cases, is that teacher who made a difference. And I wanted to slightly broaden this away from Matagon to the Matagon approach, which is are there similar products in terms of sort of discovery and experiential learning for different disciplines through you know, everything from literature through to, I don't know, chemistry? Do, do, are you part of a wider movement where there's a version of you for chemistry and physics and drama? Yeah. Are, 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 you, are you part of a part of something bigger or are you just focusing on or, or wouldn't you know? Um, I personally focus very much on mathematics. Um, one product that I really love is Brilliant. Um, they have content about uh, science, all sciences, artificial intelligence, computer science, uh, lots of other topics, as well as mathematics, so quite a bit broader. And their whole mission was around problem solving and um, uh, yeah, uh, problem-based learning rather than content-driven learning. Um, I think um, there are some subjects that are easier to make this happen than others. I think literature, drama, you mentioned, um, there is always an inherent part, music as well, that is around creativity and creating and students uh, learning creative writing and and storytelling and so on. Um, There's a really interesting um, paper written by Paul Lockhart, um, a I think mathematics professor, where he writes about a nightmare he had, and it's fictionalized, of course, but he says that um, he uh, woke up um, after dreaming about a school day and first class maybe was music and students never listened to music or played any music. All they learned was musical notation and rhythm and stuff like that. You never listened to a piece of music. You just understood the language and, and notation. Uh, next class maybe was uh, sports and you learned about your muscles and your body and how they worked and the rules of football, but you never actually played any sports yourself or, or watched sports. And the next class was um, English and you learned about grammar and uh, vocabulary and stuff like that, but you never actually read a book. And then he woke up and realized that this is how we teach mathematics, that we teach the grammar and the functionality, but we never let students experience why um mathematics is beautiful or powerful in everyday life or what impact it has uh, throughout history and so on. So I think mathematics is maybe the most egregious subject where we focus so much on uh, on one side of the spectrum of what we could be teaching, but um, there are parallels in, in many other cases as well. Well, I think, I think obviously this is slightly unusual because we've plowed far more into the product and your mission rather than the entrepreneurial journey. But if I, if I could ask you when this podcast over to drop me an email with any links to things in Absolutely. this space, I think yeah. you know, that'll go in the show notes. And for people who are interested, this is clearly a bigger bigger topic topic than than just just your individual part of it, though it sounds like... Where, where are you now? I'm curious, in your journey... 
you said it started as a side project and was there a moment when you decided you could did you mention google and bloomberg you decided i this is this is getting to this is uh, this is something i need to go full time into if you could just take us through this origin story particularly the moment you realized i have to stop doing this high prestige well paid thing that i'm doing for big yeah. corporations and start my own thing how did that happen? what was that what yeah. was that so i can't pinpoint an exact moment where it happened i think i had been working on this as a side project for maybe four years or so um and i guess that developed over time the number of users grew the amount of content grew i realized there was an interest in this um and yeah i i really enjoyed the work leaving a like you said well paid job at google is definitely uh, um not scary but but a big step to take looking back i feel like i should have done that much earlier like i enjoyed my work at google i had amazing colleagues and and teams i worked on and so on but i feel like maybe i missed out a little bit of time where i could have just accelerated um uh my product and and company even further so it didn't happen uh overnight and i wanted i didn't want well i feel like there was still a lot i could do just in my spare time as uh um on on weekends or one on holiday or just in the evenings after work and and continue writing new content so i realized that to get this to the next level it's not actually me quitting and working on it full time but me finding some uh funding uh, finding some funding and uh and hiring a small team to create more content and and develop the platform so that was actually the biggest hurdle finding some investors who didn't just care about profit and business models but the mission and the product and wanted to improve education there was a big decision for me initially whether i wanted to found a for profit company or a charity um i went with the for profit company mostly because lots of advisors said that in terms of governance and accounting it's so much easier and you can still change your mind later and and have a non-profit subsidiary or something like that um but that all worked out uh, very well i think um there are more and more for profit companies that think about their social impact there's this whole b corp movement that i think is uh, really admirable of for profit companies with shareholders still having uh, goals enshrined in their um uh in their governing documents that they need to meet certain environmental and social and impact um standards um so yeah i i founded the for profit company and then i started looking for investors and that probably took another year and lots of pitches lots of uh unsuccessful you actually meetings. went through the startup process you actually did the, you actually so basically you went through the startup process i didn't you know, so, yeah uh, absolutely uh, i thought yeah, this might I, have been organically built so you built this via that process okay uh yeah we raised half a million of funding in december 2019 and then i quit my job at google i skated back to part time before then but i fully quit in january 2020 just before the pandemic started which <laughs> okay. initially seemed a bit scary but in the end was a blessing in the sky for us good and time good timing yeah there were so many people looking for online educational resources at the time we exactly. already had a lot we were writing a lot more stuff and like i said all of what we did was completely free and this was okay. not just when pitching to investors but also for me internally when i had to 
pay uh, pay team members and and sort of budget for the coming years. A big question: How can you run a business like that, but still make as much as possible free for um, for students and teachers? And the business model we landed on um, almost accidentally was licensing to other companies. So okay. as as we as popularity grew, we started getting requests from a variety of different organizations around whether they could license some of our content or whether they could license our platform that we had built to create their own interactive content. And this uh, ended up being our business model that we licensed to commercially to different companies, publishers. So who are these two? Can you give us some examples? I mean, whatever you're able to give yeah, us in terms one of how, what, what they do and how do they use it? Yeah. Uh, one example was IBM, for example. Uh, IBM wanted to create an interactive online course to teach quantum computing. They looked at a variety of different platforms that uh, allow you to create interactive content and like Mathigon Best and uh, licensed our technology. Um, a lot of that after the acquisition, now we made open source. So we don't need these licensing partnerships anymore and anyone can just use the code on GitHub and, and create their own content with it. But at the time, that was our main business model. That how, did you, I have to ask, how, did you, how did you come up with pricing for that? Uh, <laughs> That's a good question. So I feel like um, I did a lot of research that was not helpful. I talked to a lot exactly. of advisors that were not that helpful. I guess, especially if you deal with companies like IBM, you want to work out how much they are willing to pay for it and then charge that much. Um, I'm not sure if we landed on that point, but... Yeah, no, I know. I know. I'm not asking. By the way, I'm not asking for uh, any numbers. I'm just. I'm just like. I. I know that problem. Like I. I know that problem. And it's specifically when you're young and new. You also want to have it. You know. You also. It's like you also yeah. want to get it because it's like it's a platform I, for you know further. In, you know, we work with IBM. So. As as our first, um, that was maybe I think our second or third contract. But um, yeah. at that time, having. IBM or just a number of contracts um, that we could tell investors about was a lot more important than the, um, the exactly. license fees that we received from them. So what happened? I'm actually really surprised that you decided to. So why did you decide to sell and what has become of it now that there's no licensing? How does it work now? Yeah. But anyway, maybe the first question. So one of uh, the well, in fact, several of the licensing um, or partnership discussions we had with different publishers ended up turning into acquisition proposals. And we had a few different offers on the table to choose between. Um, I really liked Amplify. This is um, the, I, I mentioned them before, they acquired Mathigon um, mm -hmm. almost exactly two years ago. They are um, a very large, I think now um, uh, maybe two or 3,000 employees um, publisher based in Brooklyn in, uh, in New York. They had, um, at the time, a science and English curriculum, and they are expanding into mathematics. And this is what we're working on together now, a brand new math curriculum. Um, I think in terms of their mission and vision for what education looked like, should look like, we were extremely aligned. Um, I had lots of meetings with their leadership team, but also some of their content teams and writers and um uh, yeah, engineers working there and so on. And uh, it just seemed like a great fit. The decision uh, for me was, do I want to sell it to Amplify or do I want to raise a Series A round and continue as a smaller company um, uh, by ourselves? 
what kind of tipped the scales was that I love teaching and education and programming, but I don't love running a business. And so much <laughs> of my time was spent doing HR and hiring stuff or in calls with lawyers, reviewing contracts and privacy policies, accounting, oh uh, fundraising, so much admin work that I had to do that I really didn't enjoy and that yes. took time away from writing code and developing new lessons and so on. And that is really wonderful now that I no longer have to worry about fundraising and can just focus on product work. And what has Amplify done with it now? So it sounds like this, obviously they're not making, they don't want to license it because it's their proprietary yeah. tool now. Well, so uh, we, we it's just license. part of, does, do they, what actually, what's the Amplify business model? Then I assume it's been plugged into that. Uh, yeah. So up to now we've operated just as a very independent, smaller team within Amplify. We had certain goals and objectives, of course, but we um, could work on the products and uh, and areas we wanted. There will be a lot more integration of our products going forward, especially around branding and just uh, user accounts and so on, that uh, rather than having multiple different right. accounts, accounts and companies, right. sure. that, uh, that will all be unified over time. Uh, Amplify's business model is they sell to schools. Um, primarily in the US right now, but they sell printed textbooks and digital curriculum to um, schools all across the US. Um, one important uh, question for me was, if I sell Mathagon, would they just add paywalls everywhere and uh, it would no longer be freely available? So that was my only big condition for the sale. And we signed that in the acquisition that the current version of Mathagon at the time would remain freely available to the general public forever. And okay. I think that but was, now uh, as you but now as you do new instances and new uh, iterations of it, that's that doesn't that's not included in the I we couldn't have included that in the acquisition contract. So far right. in the last two years we've added a huge it's amount of still, content and functionality okay. and all of that is still freely available. We have yeah. no plans right now to add any paywalls. Maybe right some point in the future for some parts of the um, of the content, we don't want to close any doors, but right yeah. now all of it is completely free to use. And we want to use this as a tool to connect directly with students and teachers rather than school administrators who make curriculum purchasing decisions. We wanted to have products that connect directly with teachers. We can get them excited. We can uh, have them use our products without signing longer right. term annual licenses and that's a good that's a good pitch them. that's a good pitch to those guys to to, to make, keep it free i like yeah. it <laughs> uh, hopefully upsell some of the schools to our commercial <laughs> yeah. products that will have all of our tools integrated in them at some point in the future so we still need some kind of revenue but um all of the tools directly for students and teachers that we work on um, are still free to use uh, fascinating uh, i a really cool story. Um, I'm just trying to think. So it's an interesting. We both, Kimon and myself, often you know, discuss things like you know self awareness. And was it a surprise to you to discover that you didn't enjoy running the organisation? That you know, when you presumably the time you set up, set it up, you thought that was the best way to amplify and reach yeah. further reach further but did you kind of know in your what did you have that feeling you weren't going to enjoy the business side of it but did it anyway because you cared so much about the project or how what was the story there 
I don't think it was a surprise that I didn't enjoy the business side. Um, it was a surprise how much business stuff there was to do um, when, <laughs> when running a company. Maybe it shouldn't have been, but I was kind of naive, maybe. Um, there was uh, a lot of, uh, I had to learn a lot, of course. I think if I were to do this again at some point in the future, it would be much easier because I know how much to charge uh, companies now when I license I know <laughs> what insurance I need to get. I know how to write privacy policies and, and uh, things like that. The hardest part of all, I think, was hiring, finding great engineers and writers and, um, and yeah, uh, growing the team. Uh, I think that is the part that won't get easier if I do it a second time. But, uh, yeah, uh, just experience helps a lot, I guess. I would say I had an amazing advisory board that helped uh, me uh, decide or, or review contracts, decide which um, uh, which investors to choose um, and just have a sort of second or third pair of eyes on, on what we do that I had a bit more confidence I wasn't making any big mistakes. This is a very interesting topic you just brought up, and I think it could be useful to listeners and people that want to set up their companies. How, how did you, um, how did you choose your advisory board, uh, actually? And uh... yeah, I uh, mostly people I had worked with uh, before in some capacity. Um, so my one of my managers at Google was on the advisory board. Rich Miner, he was one of the co-founders of Android and had a huge amount of experience in um, in not just business, but also education. Um, okay. I did a lot of volunteering work with different educational charities all around the world, and people there ended up being on the advisory board, like Cindy Lawrence, who runs the National Museum of Mathematics in New York City. I oh, wow. met her at a conference, and uh, we had worked on various different smaller projects before. And, uh, yeah, um, so various people, like I said, I, I had worked and volunteered in education for many years before I started working on Mathlon full-time and yeah, kept those contacts alive, obviously. And uh, yeah, um, they were really helpful, not just um, in terms of their advice, but also um, name recognition and getting uh, funding and having sort of their backing and support for the company. And you've reminded me of a question I wanted to ask earlier, which was in terms of users, traction, growth, how did you get the word out? Were there any sort of breakthrough moments when something happened which greatly increased the traffic or was it word of mouth organic? And you don't yeah. look as sort of like you're the sort of person who was a born marketer, but you also, marketing's not that hard. Yeah. Maybe you're smart enough just to learn it and do it. So how did you get the word out? So even until now, we... I would say spent less than $5,000 in total on marketing. Um, all of the growth was organic. We had around 5 million users in the last school year from all around the world. And a lot of it was teachers telling each other, students posting on it on Reddit or, or um, other websites and so on, um, but almost entirely organic growth. Uh, we did a lot of, and we still do a lot of social media, so posting on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram every day and having like little GIFs or video clips from our website of nice interactive elements that tend to be um, very uh, or retweetable um, and, and shareable and so on. 
um, I, uh, not so much now anymore, but at the beginning, I used to go to a lot of teacher conferences and give presentations of what we do. Um, but uh, the growth was slow. So it took several years while I was working on it um, in my spare time. The advantage was that by the time I raised funding and started working on Mathicon full-time, we already had hundreds of thousands of users and had a good user base to um, to not just show to investors and say, hey, we have traction, but also to use as a starting point for further growth and have teachers tell each other about it and um, yeah, uh, get more users that way. It's slow and steady. So the, the sort of classic thing, you were doing things that don't really scale. You couldn't have unlimited numbers of people going out there. I suppose the social media stuff, you could have, but if you you were doing content every day, that was proving it yeah. after you got funding, because when you were doing it spare time and weekends, you could possibly be tweeting every day, could you? Or... Um, most of the tweets were scheduled in advance. Like I had a reminder in my calendar for a long time, just at the beginning of each month to schedule the posts for um, for the rest of the month. And I had just a folder with hundreds of little videos and screenshots and images that um, uh, that we used. We have an interactive timeline of mathematics with lots of famous mathematicians, and we made sure on each of their birthdays to post a link to that and and share things like that. Um, uh, and these were your ideas. These were your ideas, were they? So, uh, so basically, yes, basically yeah. for people listening, I mean. This is just being well organized, right? You're, you're, what you're describing is you, you had a point in your calendar where you yeah. created your content for the month and then it was done. So you didn't have to spend all your time on Twitter. You just programmed it. Exactly. And we got a lot of traffic initially from Twitter, especially, which now not so much anymore, but uh, used to have an amazing education and teacher community. Um, so I would definitely advise people to do more of that earlier and get the word out, um, go to conferences, uh, post on social media and sort of start getting um, some traction, even if the product is still under development or uh, not quite finished yet. Good. And in terms of how you feel about what you've done, I would your family, friends, uh, people who knew you, not necessarily friends at school, or in sort of your 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 friend circle outside your professional circles, be surprised to hear you had founded a company and exited it, and now uh, we're working on education as a sort of life passion. Or and is is or do you think that you were sort of visible as someone who might be going to do something special like that? Well, you'll have to ask my family and friends, maybe. <laughs> That's the right answer. That's the right answer. <laughs> I don't think anyone would be super surprised, but um, maybe I wouldn't have been their first choice uh, of like <laughs> our group of friends who might want to start a company. I think, um, like I said, running a business was never a passion of mine. It was yeah. sort of a necessary evil I, I had to do. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I always loved education and mathematics. So hopefully that would have been somewhat predictable, maybe that this is an area I want to work in. I hope our marketing people pick up on our video. We're going to say running a business was a necessary evil. I mean, that's, <laughs> a, that's a nice line. And, and what about what about the future? I know, I know we're coming up to the end of our scheduled time. 
would, will you, yeah. is this your life's work? You said, if I ever do it again, and that rose the seed in my mind. Are there other things you have in mind where you could sort of do the same thing for some other cause you're passionate about, or could you be doing this when you... Oh, by the way, how old are you? You look quite young, but I'm not sure. I am you... 31 years old. Okay, okay. So you've got time to do more than one thing in the rest of your life. Uh, I hope so. Um, for now, I love the work. I love my team. There are lots of other... Uh, projects and products and features that I want to build uh, that we've not had the time for. So our roadmap is packed for the next few years, at least. Um, I'm super excited about AI and education and want to be part of that um, that change as, as it's happening. And, and there are various different projects we're working on internally. And rather than just seeing what's happening, I want to be part of that uh, change and help build the tools and safeguards needed um, for uh, for students to interact with artificial intelligence. Um, I think if I ever were to found a company again, I wouldn't do it by myself. I would want a co-founder to spread some of the decision-making and responsibility and just, uh, yeah, not, uh, not have, um, not be the only one who has to make large uh, decisions about the company. Um, but... It's certainly a possibility. Like I said before, I feel like the second time is always a bit easier because you have so much more experience and already have some connections with investors and a larger network and so on. Um, but I could also see myself just um, doing more volunteering work in education charities um, or, uh, or environmental charities or stuff like that. Mm. Anything else you want to ask, Kimon, or is that... I mean, you're a very impressive person for, especially you're very young, 31. Uh, I, I do want to highlight your your ego or your, your lack of ego and how important that is and how it's, that's unusual. It's comes very natural for you to say that I like to do this. This is my passion and stuff like that. But when people get a taste very often, unfortunately, I think when people get a taste for power or to be the head guy or whatever, they don't, they, and I actually, I think this is one of the major failings of these smaller town, like these smaller talented groups is that they're not actually staying and staying true to what they're really great at and what they're really passionate at. And they start to do the things just because it's like, I'm the CEO now I'm the boss. And then you do less of the stuff that you're really good at. So that is very mature. Like I consider that to be very mature. I don't know. It's a, or as Richard said, a very high level of self-awareness, which is, I, I just don't think it's that's that's typical for anybody. Like, I don't think, you know, for anybody of any age, but it's particularly harder for somebody that's younger. So that's, that, that, that's something that's, that stood out for me in this talk. Mm. Yeah. I, so in your initial questions, there was one around leadership. And I think there's the product leadership and coming up with great ideas and products and so on and companies you want to build. But what had, was probably the hardest thing for me personally, and again, lots of stuff I had to learn, was how to lead a team. I never had people report to me before. I never had to make decisions around hiring and, uh, and firing people um, on occasion and uh, providing feedback, helping the team grow on a personal level as well. Um, I think I still have a lot to learn, but that was also very um, exciting for me in the sort of social part of running a company and um, yeah, uh, finding great team members, helping them grow personally in their career, providing advice and feedback and so on. Yes, I was just, so, uh, on a, just on holiday with Peter Cowley, who um, was a co-founder of Cal Entrepreneurs, where we met and he said there's a commonplace saying that if you don't grow faster than your business as a person, 
it's highly unlikely you'll be there at the, the exit that the you know and somehow you manage you manage to evolve and learn it well enough to take it through to the stage when yeah. you're ready to handle i have one last question uh and we can finish on this and this is extremely personal <laughs> uh, which is and personal in the sense that it's like what can i do uh and maybe there's other people that want to know what they can do as well but like i actually am uh as you could probably could tell in this interview very interested in just the space and I'm quite passionate about how whether it's um through charity or through investing in stuff that furthers uh the development in the direction that we think is is best here how can how could somebody actually get involved in like do you have any i know this is kind of just a broad question but is there like if you have any but maybe you would just highlight some obvious things that somebody could do if they wanted to get involved if they wanted to help if they and, and all the sub you know this sort of general subject that we talked about like changing the learning dealing with the with the advent of ai um and you know i we even mentioned teacher compensation and like just the whole the whole subject yeah. is there are there any is there anything that people can get involved somewhere or do something to to, yeah. to, to well i think all of us are in a very privileged position that we can think about how can we make the the great education that our kids already get even better when there are millions of students in developing countries who don't have any access to mass education uh, beyond a certain level or um uh, or good teachers, good technology, and so on. So in terms of donations, I think there are many companies like UNICEF, um, SOS Children's Villages, and so on, that uh, fund education in developing countries and can have an incredible impact on those children, even if uh, they maybe don't meet the educational standards that we're talking about at the very cutting edge. How can we train people to interact with AI, um, they still make a huge impact um, for, for those countries and those children. I think as a parent, just being a lot more engaged in your kids' education uh, is really important. And uh, uh, listening or, or understanding the curriculum, understanding what students work on, providing um, additional resources outside of school, taking your kids to science museums or uh, uh, the opera or concerts or theater or things like that and providing a much richer experience than what can just be provided inside of schools um, is very important. And again, I was uh, very privileged to have parents that did a lot of that uh, while I was growing up. Um, and maybe in the notes afterwards, I can share a couple of other links for- That's what I was gonna I hope, if you can I'd, share in the yeah. notes, because this, yeah, mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, uh, companies that I think are doing great work, charities maybe, um, and organizations like that. Yeah, and Kim said it's the final question, but just before we close, thank you so much for those answers and the willingness to invest all the time afterwards. Is there anything that you think you would like to share with our audience that somehow this this conversation hasn't covered yet? That the, anything, sort of closing thoughts from your perspective that you think it's important for people to know this as well? Um. Well, I guess. A lot of the audience is um, people who are interested in starting companies or running startups, uh, interested in entrepreneurship. The um, main bit of advice for me would be to work on something that you are personally really passionate about. And for me, that was education. I couldn't imagine spending 
so much time and sleepless nights and uh, long working days and so on working on an area that I wasn't passionate about. So that I think was the most important um, uh, path for me. And uh, don't think of starting a company necessarily as a risk. Um, things have changed a little bit in the last few months with bigger tech layoffs. Um, but when I quit Google, my manager told me I can come back anytime. So when I quit, exactly. it didn't seem like a, um, a huge risk. I had enough saved up to spend a year or more working on this uh, and uh, just seeing seeing what happens. And if it hadn't worked out, I could have gone back to Google or there are many, many companies looking for um, for good software engineers or lots of other um, other product roles as well. So I think I would just encourage people to try things, see what happens and not think about this as a huge risk they're taking. Awesome. Great advice. Well, thank you very much indeed for sharing the time with us. It's, it's taken a few months now since we actually met face to face, but I hope you'll stay part of the Cal Entrepreneurs uh, community and if you're available to give talks at some of the events in London I'll, I'll let the team there know or just be on a panel or something because I think your perspectives yeah. are really worth sharing and you know many thanks to uh, Keeman the people at NBN the editors and people who make it all slick and as slick and polished as this is I should say and if you enjoyed this please uh, share it uh, subscribe, follow us. On, I'm now talking to our listeners, but you can you can follow us as well, of course. <laughs> uh, I saw you nodding when I said it. Was right, but, but like, uh, do spread spread the word and come back to us via our social media channels with any suggestions or, or questions you have to ask or things you'd like people get suggestions or people to interview. So I think on that note, Kimon, have I forgotten anything in these things, or are we done? You did your wonderful job thanking people, but the real star of the show was the guest, Philip. Thank you very much, Phil. <laughs>